Hey there. This is week three of What Next, an honest conversation with the Book of Acts. Tonight, Ben and I talk about chapters three through seven and dip a little bit into chapter eight. Or we were supposed to, but there's just too much to talk about again. These chapters are really rich, but the times we're living in right now expose a new richness in the text for us. So we try and speak honestly to that. We'd love to have you join us as we continue to try and navigate our way through the book and through these times. And you can find information about that on our Facebook or our newsletter. But in the meantime, uh, let's just sit with this conversation a little longer. Here we go. Awesome. So welcome, everybody. We're glad that you're here uh, for this third night of What Next? Um, we are, uh, for those, if, if anybody's on the call that hasn't been on here before, just a heads up, we record all of these. And so we put them online. Um, they take a little bit of time to get them online. So last week, I think that we get it, didn't get them up until this weekend. But I don't know if you know this, but we record these and put them online as videos. But we also put them on as podcasts now. So we have a podcast. We didn't um, announce that really any earlier. So if this is better for you to listen or to share, you can look at your podcast uh, provider or wherever you listen to podcasts and you can add that and listen in your car or wherever you may be. So just wanted to give you a heads up there. Um, the way that we kind of converse with one another is that Adam and I have pretty much conversation about the reading that we've done for the course of, over the course of the week or that you might have just done right before you hopped on um, and have a conversation about it. You can engage with us via the chat box that's down at the bottom um, or with the Q&A. So if you have questions, um, you, can, you can save them, you can sit on them. Um, we can't promise we can answer all the questions. We can give it a shot, but um, certainly we don't know. Um, we're not like, um, we don't have PhDs and X, and so we might not be able to answer all the details, but we'll certainly give our perspective if we bet, if we can. Um, so just wanted to give you a heads up there. Uh, we'll pause about halfway through to answer some questions along the way as we move through this book. But, um, but again, we're glad you're here. I'm going to open us up in a word of, uh, a word of much needed prayer, um, just kind of in, in the time that we're in. So will you join me in prayer? Good and gracious God, you are the giver of life. Um, you are the restorer of life. You are one who does new things in times of trial. And you are the one who promises to bring about a new creation. You invite us to participate in that new creation. And for that, we give thanks. And we pray that this time together might be a time where we can create a time where we can live into the creation that you've called us to build alongside you. God, might your spirit move in this place and in this time, in our reading, in our hearing, in our speaking, so that this world may know your kingdom in new ways, so that all people might know the freedom that you give, and that we may be instruments of your peace and your compassion in all that we do. We pray these things in your son's most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So um, 
So I'll kick us off. So I, I gotta confess. I mean, this there's like a very uh, real heaviness to this conversation, um, or there has the potential to be. I mean, like if we had read, uh, it's just fascinating how how God works in this um, and and how things work out. But you know, reading this section that we read, essentially chapters three through seven, kind of touching on just the beginning of eight. Um, if you'd read it this time last week, we'd, be, we'd probably be having a different conversation, or at least there wouldn't be the backdrop that we have now, right? And so when we read Scripture now, when we read this section now, it is very different than last Tuesday. Um, and I think that it actually puts us, I mean, just to be very honest, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I think that this puts us more in the in the world that the apostles were living in, in a way that like we probably don't if we would just be studying Acts at the beginning of September, at the beginning of like a regular school year, um, when there's when there's not like just an abrupt change in our reality kind of every few days. And there certainly has been one. And I think that while COVID-19 is certainly there and certainly present in the backdrop, for a lot of us, it's kind of taken a little bit of a back seat in the public eye, maybe in our consciousness for a second. COVID-19 is obviously its own weighty thing that we've been talking about the whole time. But then in light of everything that's happened with, um, with George Floyd and with Ahmaud Arbery and then the response of this, of, of what people have done in cities as a result and how people have protested and how those protests have been responded to, it's, I, mean, I can't help but thinking that we are reading, it almost feels like in reading this, I'm reading four very different chapters of scripture than I was last week. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know if you feel the same. Yeah, I mean, when we got off the call last week, even talking about Pentecost. Yeah. And then finding out about what was happening in Minneapolis while we were on the call. Right. Right. I mean, thinking about tongues of fire while a city's on fire. Yeah. You know, even that changes, changes this conversation. Yeah. And I think it should. I mean... And this, this section in particular, we see a lot of things in the apostles' lives that, uh, yeah, I think you're right, resonate deeply with the questions and conversations that the church needs to be asking right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, there's just a, there's a, I feel like I'm, um, the, the weightiness of Acts I think that we're experiencing, we're experiencing it in ways that maybe we wouldn't have felt before um, mm-hmm. uh, in just kind of any other time of year. So it's, it's fascinating that we're here and we're in this place. And I'm sure for, for those of you who are, um, who have read along, I, I would imagine that that's, um, that's similar for a lot of us um, at this point. So I don't think I, I'm alone in that sense, but I do just want to name that like tonight is a little bit heavier than it would be. Um, I mean, we're in obviously a very real time with COVID, but like the, just everything that's happened in the past week, this has been a, pretty um, heavy moment. So I don't know. So just a heads up for be, be forewarned that uh, tonight could, could kind of, we could go on tangents all over the place and might not get to what we're actually planning to discuss, but just be patient with us. And we may also, we may not even go till a full hour, but um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Then real quick, just on that topic. Yeah. Um, how do you think about as a preacher, mm. how do you think about reading scripture in times like this yeah like Um, is it okay is it okay to read acts with the news feeds social media 
the national response, the mm -hmm. cries of the protests, like, is that an appropriate way to handle scripture? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that, again, I think that we're, you know, I, th I think that we go back and we read the, the, um, we, 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 a lot of people do different things with text in a time like this. I mean, last night I went to, I kind of, I went to and, or just sat in on a service that was a service of lament. And I hear Isaiah 60 with just like completely different ears than I do in, in other times. And yeah. the spirit speaks to that text in that moment in tremendous ways. And I yeah. think um, the spirit speaks through, um, the Psalms in just real ways. And honestly, it speaks to, just to give you guys a heads up about what I watched last night, it was a pastor over in Southeast Raleigh, a, a very good friend, Lisa Boa, and um, she, uh, she leads a congregation that is um, very purposely uh, in the conversation of race. I mean, it is a black and a white church kind of together. Um, she herself is black and she, you know, hearing the Psalms read from those, from that perspective in a way, and hearing uh, Isaiah last night, I mean, it's just radically different. And I th so I think that um, when, when we think about reading Acts, I think the Spirit can move through Acts, certainly. Um, but I think that there are times almost like, this is going to be, this is an analogy I have not practiced at all. So I don't know if this is going to work. In the least. I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I just, I've, I feel like this is a question that people often like where do you don't go? know how to navigate? Yeah, and I, I, th I think that the sometimes for me, like when I when I read this past week, when I was reading um, Stephen's uh, Stephen's speech, um, the arrest of Stephen, the prayers for boldness. I mean, those were the things that were speaking to me, kind of in light of all that's happened. Had we talked about this last week, I mean, I probably would have put a little bit more emphasis on the Ananias and Sapphiriah, you know, yeah. um, I probably would have talked a little bit more about the apostles healing and stuff. You know, I mean, I would have leaned into that, but yeah. this goes to show how I think that the spirit moves and the spirit's very active in the text. And so whatever text it is that we read, I think that the spirit can and can use and will use that text to speak to us. Um, yeah. But I just think that we, sometimes it's good to just go back to the stories that like the, the story of God and how God moved among God's people. And when we, when we know the stories about God moving among people in pain, we go back to that and we hear it and we enter into that story in new ways that, um, that is like, I mean, deeply soul nurturing and massaging in a way that like, we're not going to get from a great, article on medium.com or, uh, you know, right. whatever, it, you know, it's just different. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that answers the question. I mean, the appropriate use of scripture in times of trial, I, I do think that there are tech, there are reliable texts and standard texts, but I think that we keep on reading, hoping that the spirit might re might speak in the text that we don't normally lean to. I would not normally lean to acts like in a, in a question of race relations, right. Uh, 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 or, or, uh, sure. Um, of racial conflict. I wouldn't necessarily have turned to Acts, but I'm, I'm grateful that we're here and that we're in it because I think it's speaking fresh. So what are your thoughts? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, I think we have a responsibility to read scripture in light of our life. Right. And like you were saying about hearing the witness from Southeast Raleigh Table, um, 
this is kind of what we talked about the first night about being conscious of who you're reading scripture with, right? Right. And your conversation partners and hearing different voices read the same text means something different. Yeah. You know, I'll never forget being, to be really frank, being 17 years old and being at a, at a protest in downtown Dallas and this older black woman started reciting from Revelation that one day God will wipe every tear from every eye and will wipe, you know, and our weeping will turn to gladness. And um, that was the first time I had heard that text come alive and like mean something. Yeah. Besides an abstract promise, right? Like in that moment, we needed that to be true. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I, I, yeah, so that I think that we have a responsibility to bring scripture, our lives, our concern, the needs of our communities um and our neighbors into conversation with one another so absolutely yeah i love that i mean the, the idea of reading scripture with people that are different i mean mm-hmm. you know yeah there's this beautiful practice that they have uh, scriptural reasoning i mean you're probably you're, you're familiar with scriptural reasoning right mm-hmm. um so scriptural reasoning is the idea of of uh, people actually from different faith traditions entirely, not just kind of different denominations, but like Jewish and all, mostly all Abrahamic. I mean, Jewish and um, Muslim and Christian uh, persons coming together and reading like reading essentially Acts 2 together and saying, what does this say to you? And so people who aren't even from that tradition, and that's a beautiful practice. I've only done it once, like actually through um, and uh, it's a beautiful practice because it's just, it allu- I think that God speaks through those people. I mean, obviously God speaks through those people just as much as God speaks through me. And, um, and it's really just a fascinating thing, but you know, so rule number one for tonight or tip number one, read scripture with people that are very different um, as much as you can. Um, so. Yeah. Okay. We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> a lot to talk about. So why don't you, Hey, so tell me what's the, um, for you, like, let's, let's kind of walk through the text. There's five big chapters here. Um, three, four, five, six, and seven. There is so much here and so much to unpack, but I'm gonna let you start with what you think is most, um, that you want, that you want to talk about first. So, uh, okay. Um, well, yeah, I have pages and pages of notes. Man, just kind of preach tonight, dude. You know, <laughs> we're leaning into you, brother. You don't get the pulpit that often, but if this is the note that you want to preach, by all means, we're recording. Great. Awesome. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, this section of Acts, I'll just go into it then. Mm-hmm. This section of Acts is our chance to see the disciples following the path of Jesus and picking up their cross. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is... Often we hear that phrase from Jesus as a call to sacrifice um, because we understand the cross. Many of us understand and think of the cross as an act of sacrifice. Mm. But when Jesus is making that call to the disciples, it's very clear that it's a, it's a call of confrontation with power and political persecution mm. and criminality. It would be like us saying, all right, if you're ready to join in on our, on our crew, like get ready to wear an orange jumpsuit. You know, Mm. Um, and the path that leads them to that confrontation is in responding to the need of those around them. Mm. And 
not saying God wills this need and suffering, but saying God sees your suffering um, and sees your need and is moving in the world to respond to it. Mm-hmm. And that is an upsetting and dangerous thing to start to say in the world full of powerful people. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to think of this section as a chunk, that's how I would summarize this section. Yeah. So the things I would ask people to pay attention to as they're reading through it are how many arrests happen, how many times the disciples get arrested, how often they disobey authority, um, how often they're responding to the need of their community. I mean, we start in chapter three with Peter and John walking by a man in need mm-hmm. and insisting on making eye contact, mm-hmm. right? And all he's wanting is some spare change, but instead, through the Holy Spirit, Peter and John upend the conditions that result in this man's persistent suffering, mm-hmm. right? Um, and this act is the thing that sets off the confrontation that we see in chapter four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's, so here's a question for you. Like the, I love, um, I, I mean, I kind of love thinking about what the apostles were thinking when it got to this point, right? So like they've just seen Pentecost or they've just experienced Pentecost in new ways. And they, I imagine there's a sense in which they think that they're going to the ends of the earth, as Jesus told them that they would go to. You'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Um, you can go out and you can make disciples to every nation, fill in the blank. Um, but then their first like very abrupt thing is, but first you start with right there on the ground in front of you. And I'm not telling you to go speak to people from all different nations just yet. You need to address the authority that's like right there among you. And, and yeah. uh, um, start to question some of the empire around you, right? And start to kind of challenge it. Um, I don't know. Right. I just, like, it's just, it's one of those things that you just kind of sign up for. Like when people become, uh, I think that when people begin to follow Jesus, they think, I do this and my life is going to get better. And that is true. But that's not, that's not the point. Is that enough that makes sense? It, it's true. Yeah. It's, of like it's a part of like what we do when we follow Jesus like life is um more abundant life is rich like it's yeah. beautiful it's great but it's not necessarily easier um in fact i would say it's far more difficult and i would also say that it is um it's not something to just kind of walk into as a self help program it is uh, oh. There's significant responsibility and weight um, that can be painful, and like goes to the point of saying sacrifice. And this is this is where we see it for the first time among the disciples without Jesus, right? When he's not right. physically present among them. Um, right. All, yeah. So what strikes me about this is a few things. Just in chapter three and chapter four, like you said, it starts in the temple, right? Yeah. It starts. They're on their way to worship, mm-hmm. and on their way to worship, they're confronted with need right at the gate right and what they do is they bring the person who is suffering from that need into the space yeah right um and bring him in as a part of their witness to the work of god in the world yeah as an act of worship and it's that very act of worship that very act of bearing witness that draws the attention of of the 
high priests and authorities who get, I think it says much annoyed. Yeah, um, <laughs> um, yeah I do like the language in this text. The much annoyed, yeah. uh, looking intently. Um, and they, yeah. I think there's even a such and such somewhere in there. Um, in the, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I really, I, yeah. Um, yeah, and that, I mean, I think, I think that that's, and in this confrontation with, we're starting to see echoes of the text already reverberate with each other, mm-hmm. right? So even in chapter four, when Peter and the, and the Sadducees, the high priests, the judges are interrogating him and he's responding, even here we start to see echoes of that thing that you and I pointed out earlier, that they're Galileans, they're nobodies, mm-hmm. right? And these judges and Sadducees are incredibly well-educated, incredibly successful, incredibly well-revered in their community. Um, They're the ones who understand what's politically reasonable and what's not politically reasonable. They're the ones who understand how to get things done and to make sure that their communities don't suffer under the hands of Rome, right? Like they're Mm -hmm. constantly negotiating that relationship with the empire that's occupying their city. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can't see the work of God through Peter and John in front of them, uh, even though they're incredibly well-educated, even though they know the scripture, because Peter and John are common folk, Hmm. because the work of God is happening through these people that have no claim to this power. Right. Right. Have no claim to this authority. Yeah. Power by any other measure. uh, They ain't got none of it. Right. It's all distributed to the, the people who have it. Yeah. And I think that that's important to remember, right? I mean, I think about, I think about my, uh, at my orientation at Duke, um, one of my favorite professors who taught preaching, homiletics is what they call it in divinity school, Chuck Campbell. uh, At our orientation, he's sitting on a panel, a diversity panel about Mm -hmm. like, why diversity is important in theological education and all sorts of stuff. And he, he doesn't have anything prepared. He just has a question and he says, Hey, how many people feel called to attend Duke Divinity School? So everybody, you know, all 180 students raise their hand. And then he says, great. How many are homeless or how many have been in prison and nobody raises their hand. Yeah. And he just says like, isn't that strange that people who are homeless aren't called the Duke Divinity or people who have been in prison aren't? called the Duke Divinity School like and it's a similar kind of thing about if I'm honest with myself I would be surprised um, and I'm not sure like if I'm being really vulnerable about my own internal stuff mm-hmm. I'm not sure how I would hear preaching from a homeless man right right like hearing preaching from Carl in a robe yeah I have no question of you sure. know of course. Um, and I think, I think that's something we should be curious about. Yeah. I've never thought about that. Right. Yeah. The homeless person kind of preaching. Um, I mean, yeah. technically we worship a homeless man, right? Right. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. That's so. Yeah. It, this whole book is just kind of up in, I mean, Acts is starting to kind of up in us and uproot us in ways. I think that, you think Pentecost was big. Wait till you get out and you, you're, you know, um, and you're actually doing the, the good work that we're, that we're called to do. So, 
Yeah, I think, you know, the tell me a little bit about the the cost piece, because that was something that was interesting for me. I mean, we could talk a little bit more about the guy at the at the entrance to the temple, but I think that kind of moving us forward a little bit um, into chapter four and this idea of um, of this conversation that's taking place, like, you know, Peter and John, they go in front of the council and then they're persecuted um, for this and that, like what they say, like what, like for you, what do you think is like, what's the true cost of following Jesus? You, um, that was a completely unscripted question, folks. You, if yeah. You can't go by Adam's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, the other, yeah. I mean, like we're going to be honest, right? Yeah. Tonight we'll be honest. Um, the true cost of following Jesus is that um, that we'll have our world upended. Mm-hmm. That we'll have every way of negotiating our world and our place in the world stripped from us. Mm-hmm. And that we will, if we are committed to bearing witness to the good news of Jesus, mm-hmm. we will make powerful, dangerous people upset with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, like, that's the thing. It's, and in a lot of ways, it's an abandoning of like abstract principles. It's yeah. just committed to following Jesus and the next step. Yeah. Right. And that's, that's the call to baptism. That's what's happening in our baptism. Um, but it's, it's a dangerous thing. Yeah. Um, what we see here in Peter and John is them speaking truth to powerful people and saying your power is defeated. You have the power of death and violence, and we worship one who's overcome death and violence. Um, and so what do the people in power do? They, re- they resort to the way they exercise their power. They, they imprison and they use violence, right? Um, and what we see over and over and over again is the Holy Spirit won't yield to death and violence. Right, right. Or uh, to imprisonment, right? I mean, like all the breaking, breaking out of prisons and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That this can't be tamed and it can't be controlled and it doesn't fit well in the social order yeah. that neatly orders hierarchy and power. And it's going to flow through all of that stuff in a dangerous way. And it's going to be disorienting. And, but at the same time, it's going to be radically life giving and exciting and, allows us to drop the facade that we get to make our own lives, that we secure Mm -hmm. our future, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. We can enter in and embrace our vulnerability as creatures made of nothing. Um, And I think that so much of our own internal pain and discomfort comes from trying really hard to forget that like, the only thing sustaining us in existence is God's gaze in God's embrace of us. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's awesome. Like the, the idea for me, it's, it's, it's a similar thing. It's um, the idea of like you, the abandonment of like all ability to compromise, right. The ability, like the idea of saying, God, I'm going to put you in my little box. I, like, like, I love you. I think it's great. I'm glad we're in this relationship. I think it's awesome. I'm going to, I want you, you need to, I need you to fit into this little like void in my life. Um, 
and and that's it like you know if i'm going through this type of pain that's when i want you to step in yeah. if i need a little encouragement that's when i want to stop in if i'm doing yeah. like things right i need the encouragement not the redirection um if i'm doing things wrong i need like the pat on the back it's okay um and the help not the um what you know the abrupt stop or whatever it might be and um yeah and i think that like when we a, a statement from last night that was really powerful for me is um I was Lisa praying towards the end and she just kind of concluded with this beautiful image. I mean, this like kind of mind blowing image of saying, you know, um, I don't want, she's, you know, she's praying for, for all that's going on. She's like, I don't want the empire to be nice. I'm not praying for like a, a, a nice empire. I'm not praying for an empire that will, um, that will see me in new ways. I'm praying for something completely new. I'm praying for there to be a completely new creation. Like forget all of like the, the ways that I want the world right now to be. Um, and because that's, you know, it is what it is. I want that God to completely and, and restore God's will on this earth as in heaven, right. In ways that I haven't seen yet. And for me as a person, like just to confess for me as a person that is white and probably has more, privilege in my pinky finger than uh entire countries right in, in most way in cases um that's praying me following jesus is saying there is a strong there there's absolute certainty that i'm going to lose that power right that i'm going to lose that privilege and i abandon that and that's what it means to follow jesus and i think that we see that kind of with peter and john with like the just Kind of saying we're going to get arrested for this. Um, we're going to like go to power, and we may die. Stephen, we may die, right? Like, in, but we're going to preach, and that's what it is, and that's what's on the line um, when we speak of God. Um, and that takes a level of faith that I'm not sure any of us, quite frankly, can fully appreciate because of, um, in, in certain ways, like any of us that that are kind of in our world in our bubble right now, can fully appreciate because we do have security in a lot of other ways, right? Um, so that's just the thing I've been thinking about too, the cost of following Jesus um, in light so of So let's, let's jump to their boldness then. Yeah. Right, they pray for boldness. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, what else is your prayer going to be, right? Like in the face of this, for yourself, like what else is your prayer other than to just be like, God, I need you to speak through me. If I'm going to do this, like you got to be speaking through me. You got to give me the confidence to do this. If I can just show up and be there, I'll let you speak through me. But like, that's, that's it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think there are a couple important things about this prayer, yeah. especially where it happens, right? Yeah. This happens right after Peter gets threatened with torture yep. and imprisonment. Yep. And we already know that Peter hasn't done well with that threat in the past. Mm. Mm -hmm. Like his denial at the crucifixion is a fear of that power of right. death and violence. Yep. Right. Um, so how does that fear be overcome through an act of the Holy Spirit, right? Like that's radical. And then the prayer of boldness, I think is really great oh. because it's happening together, right? It's not an individual boldness. It's a community boldness. Yep. Um, it's a boldness of the congregation, right? Um, of the group. Not only that, it's an acknowledgement that bold, this isn't, um, and just for this whole book, right? But especially in this section, 
it's, it can be easy to read these as heroic acts of courageous men mm -hmm. just over and over, like these kind of superhero figures that are going up to confront. Book in a way, like as a result, you read, you, can, one professor of mine once said that she actually didn't like acts. She thought it was just a pretty arrogant book of, on behalf of people who are powerful men who succeeded um, right. in their, in their evangelism. <coughs> Never heard anybody say that before that or after it, but interesting. So. But it can, it, and it often is read this way. And we often think, I was taught at the apostles as these kind of heroic, muscular figures yeah. coming up and overcoming the world, you know? And over and over and over again, we get that like, these are unqualified human beings um, who get things wrong over and over again. Yeah. And who it is by sheer grace and sheer gift of the Holy Spirit that any of this happens. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's affirming, like like yeah, yeah, very affirming right now. You know, for like someone who feels, uh, who can feel at times like super underqualified to like preach a power like this powerful of a story, right? Um, uh, for any of us to feel like we how can I ever tell the story of God in, in a way that does any service to God at all? Like, right. how can I preach the gospel of Jesus in a way that is life giving to anyone? Like I, I can't do it. It's for, especially certain, like whatever. And so yielding that and saying something to the effect of like what the prayer for boldness is, is in, and, and now Lord, look at the threats and grant to your servants to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus Christ. Like, God, just give us the strength to stand here and to do this. Um, yeah. That's kind, of, that's kind of what the, we can fall into a rhythm and we can fall into a habits of just thinking that we're, we're able to do it well. Um, and then we get to a moment like this, a crisis, and we're like, oh, I'm actually way underqualified to speak yeah. good news into this situation. And that's where yielding to the spirit in a way is what the spirit's like. This is this is going to, what life is going to be like. Um, if you're going to speak a thing, you're going to speak it through me. Otherwise it's going to be, um, uh, kind of a man's agenda, right. Or like humanity's yeah. agenda. Yeah. Yeah. Or you, you're confessing more belief in the threat of death and violence and imprisonment mm -hmm. than you are in the work of the spirit. And that's what this, that's what's at stake here. Right. Yeah. Do you believe Jesus was resurrected from the dead? Do you believe God overcame this power? Yeah, right. When that's you're good. facing it down. Yeah, that's the <laughs> entire question. Like yeah. Either either God did or God didn't. And that's, yeah. the, that's kind of what you're professing and in your kind of moving into that, like that bold boldness. So. And that's why Paul says, like, if this is, if the resurrection is false, we should be, cons we should be pitied above all other group yeah. of humans, you know, because like what a stupid, foolish thing. Yeah, to believe. Anyway, that's awesome. Well, there's one question or one chat in there. Um, mm, mm. Yep. The comment on here of uh, Otis Hardy uh, being a great example in our church of someone speaking from a different point of view. If you haven't met Otis, uh, an amazing person, um, and has, has given just beautiful perspective into a into kind of an echo chamber in some ways. I mean, as a man from Southeast Raleigh and a man who's been in prison and a man who's just had this, just, and is very forthcoming about it. 
um, deep faith. He's, he's a beautiful voice to hear from. Awesome. So Adam, where to next? Um, can I just give a plug for Jennings real quick? Yes. Like, yeah. Let's not talk about. Yeah. Let actually introduce us to, to, to Willie Jennings. A lot of us don't know who Willie Jennings is. So. Yeah. Okay. Um, Willie, Willie James Jennings is a Baptist minister and professor of systematic theology and Africana studies at Yale Divinity School. He taught at Duke Divinity School for years. He was associate professor of systematic theology and black church studies. Um, and he was there while I was there that towards the end of his tenure there or not tenure, his time there. Um, and it's, um, it's of my opinion that he's one of the most um, potent thinkers of the faith right now. And probably the Christian intellectual that has formed the way that I engage with my faith and the way that I engage with the world more than any other, um, I would say. Yeah. But he wrote a great book called The Christian Imagination, Theology and the Origin of Race. That's wonderful, pretty dense, but really wonderful. Um, but he wrote this book relatively recently, which is a commentary on the book of Acts. It's called Acts, uh, a revolution of the intimate. Is that with a subtitle? I don't know. Um, actually I didn't even know it had a subtitle. Uh, yeah, something about the intimate revolution. Revolution is here. Okay, cool. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and it's, I find it exceedingly readable yeah. like it's something i would feel comfortable suggesting to anybody who who's looking yeah. for an interesting commentary yep absolutely very well read or written yeah. um but yeah he's i owe that man uh a huge debt of gratitude yeah um, yeah he's definitely powerful adam introduced me to him uh, around um, I mean, I knew who he was. I didn't know the book. I didn't know he had written on Acts uh, before. I've read other stuff of his. Um, but his his Acts commentary, radically eye-opening to, to, to radically eye-opening, not just to Acts, but just to how people can read scripture. I mean, it is, it is a tool and it is an example of, oh, that's how you read scripture. Um, and yeah. you're just like, you kind of, your, your mind's blown a little bit. And again, it's super accessible. It brings in other voices as well. He kind of has some, he drifts off into like hearing from, um, or includes comments and, and, and quotes from several other theologians as well and pastors in the area. And yeah. So, so. yeah. Um, but I, I think that probably the most confusing and troubling part of the early part of the book of Acts is the beginning of chapter five. Right. Mm -hmm. um, which if you did the reading, may have stuck out to you, Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think Ben and I have time to unpack what's going on here. Um, but if you want to know about it, if you want a perspective on it, Jennings, I think, has an excellent kind of breakdown of a way to read this text. Yeah. Yeah, because it's troublesome. It's tough to read. Um, it's not a, it's one of those, I don't want to say texts of terror. We're not, we're not that extreme on this, but this is one of those ones that you're just like, oof, I'm not really sure how that fits in. Uh, that's a, that's a hard line to draw in the sand there, God. Um, yeah. So. And are the apostles using the exact threat that 
the high priests are using against them, right? Like that's the question I have right. before reading Jennings' explanation of what's happening here. I yeah. just want to point out the apostles are not doing the violence here. Right. Um, yeah, anyway. Cool. So, well, let's go. Um, but I think that we, we've got probably time to hit one more uh, topic. Um, or to, maybe two. We might be able to get to Stephen's speech. I think that's um, good. But uh, Gamaliel. Okay. Bring in, yeah. in Gamaliel um, and kind of talk about that. Because I think that that was a pretty important um, conversation. If, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with a part of it, so Gamaliel is one of the Pharisees. Um, he comes, he kind of pops into this scene and um, I'm not really sure. Gamaliel. Gamaliel. 533. No. Yeah. We'll call him just let's call him Gamma. Gamma or G. Yeah. What up, G? So he <laughs> um he is uh this guy that's a teacher and he makes this just interesting comment. They're all arguing about uh, the apostles and how terrible they are, and they're preaching this message that's just blasphemous and um and they want to kill them. And they want to kill them, and that's the thing. And Gamaliel steps up and he kind of has this fascinating speech. That I'm, I'll read, and Adam, I want you to provide commentary on it, because I think it's just interesting. So it starts with um, 35. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. They were going to kill them. For some time ago, uh, Thutis rose, rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. Then after Judas, the Galilean rose up at the time of the census and got people to follow him. He was per perished, and all who per followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men, these apostles, and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may have even found yourself fighting against God. So kind of this fascinating thing that when I first read, I can't tell who he's advocating for, right? I can't, right. when I first read it, I'm like, all right, so are you, because it sounds like you're saying stay away from the apostles. They're preaching this news, but it, it may be true. It may be true. That's kind of what he sounds like he's saying. We're not really sure. It may be true um, what they're saying. And if it's true, then we're all screwed. Um, it's over. Game on. Um, but uh, so it's best for us just to just back off and maybe not do anything in this case. And so I couldn't tell if he's pro apostles or pro Pharisees and kind of the, the high priests and uh, yeah. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I, I was introduced to gamma early on as an, um, a unique position of wisdom among the Pharisees in the book mm -hmm. of Acts that he offers practical wisdom. Um, that like, oh, if it's of God, it will bloom. If it's not, it'll fizzle out. We've seen this happen over and over yeah. again. Which is kind of, Which isn't, in is kind of common sense. I mean, that's kind of what we would all say. Yeah, if this right. is God, then it'll work out. If it's not, then it won't, you know? Right. Bad timing on the water. I know. I got too excited about it, um, so, and I had to take a sip. This, uh, this, um, the the reading of it I have now is radically different. Yeah. And it comes in part out of my time studying at Duke Divinity School, but in part coming out of this. Um, Jennings. Jennings and in, in part my time at the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just, can I just read a section of it? Please. 
Okay, great. Um, it would be a mistake to read Luke as a pro-Pharisee writer or read Gamma in positive terms. Gamma is the quintessential compromised intellectual who reads history from the wrong side and politics from the sideline. The frightful reality at the heart of his words is that they reflect a properly formed and supremely trained scholar who, like so many others, cannot see the day of divine visitation because it has come in unimpressive flesh. It has come in the common. Gamma is exceptional, and the exceptional in society look for their own. God must appear in the exceptional to appear as God to this Pharisee. Mm. So Jennings goes on to say that um, this pragmatic and politically wise move that Gamma makes betrays a terrible tragedy that this man who's deeply educated, who in the scriptures, in the life of faith, in Israel's life with God, um, cannot hear God speaking to him to come and follow because, again, of the ordinary flesh that it's wrapped in, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And this results in um, this results in them sitting on the sideline and, and imagining themselves to be casual observers. Yeah. And the thing about it is they're being casual observers here to them being whipped. Like it's not just like, let's let them go. Right. They're just saying like, let's just hold back and let, you know, the typical disciplining take place. Yeah. That's, it's interesting to think about that, to kind of bringing us back into the time that we're in from there. This idea of um, where, who are we listening to? Uh, where is God speaking? In whom are we looking for God to speak right now? Is it coming in new ways? And what is our response? Are we weighing, are we, are we sitting on the sidelines um, in some things, in this time of transition, in this time of kind of crisis for all of us, are we sitting on the sidelines sometimes and not engaging in the conversation because we're trying to weigh the options and we're trying to say, well, you know, if I go in and I make a statement about this, or if I go and I serve this way, or if I, um, or if I kind of proclaim the gospel in this way, then, you know, is that gonna, am I going to dip too much into politics? Um, and am I going to be, you know, it's interesting just to think about that, about kind of in where the apostles, how the apostles saw that kind of this clear renunciation of, of that type, or at least Jen, not clear, but Jennings renunciation of, uh, G or gamma. Um, yeah. So it's just of a detached. Yeah. Jennings wants a, that he wants an end to the notion that Christians can be detached observers mm. of the workings of the world. Yeah. Yeah. I think, th oh, yeah. go ahead. No, I mean, do, do you think that that's a, um, do you think that that's something that the church gets right now? <laughs> not, not, not first carry. I'm just saying the church universal gets and understands. I'm not sure. I thought that it was kind of interesting. You and I talked about Acts 2 being one of the most formative 
chapters for the church mm-hmm. in the history of the church. And then reading chapters three through seven and into eight, I thought, oh, maybe these are the most misunderstood and mis- mm-hmm. most dismissed chapters. Yeah. You know? Because um, it comes after Pentecost, and it's like Pentecost has got all the attention. And then, like, the immediate thing afterwards is, like, we maybe forget. It's like the resurrection happens, and then we kind of forget all of the story about, like, doubting Thomas, and we forget the guys on the beach. and you know, <laughs> we, we sometimes forget those because we remember the resurrection, but there's it's a similar type of thing of, like, the what next? What happened next? And this being, like, oh, do you really want to know? Um, yeah. Because what we see in this whole section is that the people who secure their futures in – the social order that relies on violence to maintain order, that relies on the threat of death and pain and suffering to maintain order and power, that that cannot integrate into the good news of Jesus Christ, that that order has been overcome. Mm-hmm. We see that over and over and over. That's the constant refrain. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that these disciples, these apostles are criminals. They're labeled criminals. And rightly so, by the way. We can often read them because they're on our team as like the good people who were wrongly persecuted. Right. Like, no. They, right. they broke the law, right? Like they Over yeah. and over yeah. and over again, they disobeyed. Right. Um, and I'm not sure how the church can reckon with that. Yeah. It's hard to. I think that there are some examples of churches reckoning with that. Yeah, but it's, it's really difficult to just in the history because we can't remove our, we can't peel ourselves from the history that we've lived through as a church right. and kind of wedding together and the power of um, state and the church getting it, you know, and that's, yeah. And it's it kind of has handcuffed us in a way to, to preach, um, to preach the gospel in the way that I think the gospel is meant to be preached. Um, yeah. And, and I think, and, you know, you said that there's a refrain that goes over and over again. That refrain is like starred in my, in my Bible and underlined repeatedly. And it's 4.12. Um, there is salvation in no one else, for there yeah. is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Like there is no empire. There is no um, human being or system that can save us. Um, or that gives us the gift of salvation um, other than Jesus. And that's a There's no system, right? Yeah. There's no system. To believe, uh, to believe in yourself, to to ration with, to be like, not my money, not my um, savings, my 401k, not my um, five-year plan or my strategy to get to the next job. Not even my, like, like this is the hard part too. It's like not even my place in, um, and necessarily like my friend circles or even my family, it's the level of like, this, we are saved by grace, right? And we are saved by God. Yeah. Yeah. It's a hard thing to say, hard thing to preach um, if we're being honest about it. So, I mean, yeah, like this is, this is what the prophets are talking about when they say the day of judgment, mm-hmm. right? Like we see divine judgment over and over and over again in this text through the speeches of Peter and Stephen. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what it is. It's like, you think you can, you think you can build a world that is secure and that rests in its own, in its own existence, right? On its own strength. And you can't, mm-hmm. like, that's only built on violence. Anyway.
Oh, man, there's so much more we could have talked about. Yeah, there's a ton. Um, we're going to, I'm going to go ahead and kind of pull it together because I don't think we even have time to jump into anything else because we'll, we, we would go 10 minutes over, but I'm going to encourage y'all um, who are listening to um, and watching to go to look at Stephen's speech. Um, it's just a great speech. Um, the whole story of Stephen, I do, I mean, God bless him. Um, so Stephen, uh, you know, brilliant speech to the council. It's great. And then he's stoned for it. And, um, but it's just a powerful thing. And it just, to me, speaks a lot about why we like, why we tell the stories of God working in the world and coming to us in so many different ways. And why it's important to say that coupled with the idea of what the apostles were doing all the time, which is encouraging people to repent, to return from like, to turn from their old ways and to be ushered into this life because God is right there reaching out to you. And Stephen just speaks it so well. It's great. It's great. Um, great speech. It's a great retelling essentially of, of um, their like, his time, their scripture, the old Testament. So if you get a chance to read it, read it. So cool. Awesome. Well, okay. that's all we got for this week. Um, Adam, do you mind closing us in a quick prayer? I don't yeah. see the reason is I don't see any questions, guys. So we're yeah. um, we're gonna kind of uh, we're gonna pull back at that point. So thanks for joining us tonight, Adam. Why don't you close us in prayer and then we'll log off. Dear God, remind us that you are the giver of life. Give us the grace to yield to your Spirit, even when it brings us to the frontiers of danger. And at those frontiers, grant us boldness. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. We hope you have a great week. We'll see you next Tuesday. Thanks, Thank Adam. You, Peace, buddy. Thanks for joining us. We'd love for you to be a part of this conversation as we continue forward. You can join us live on Tuesday nights, or you can just send us an email or a series of emails over the week. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we'll be reading that week or what we read the week before we're grateful to have wide conversation partners in this in the meantime we'll see you next week